0: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway, and I'm so excited to say that we have Sharon Milliman with us today, and she has had four near-death experiences. So, Sharon, thank you so much for being on the program today.
1: Well,
0: thank you for having me. Uh, Well, why don't you introduce yourself just a little bit uh, uh, um, before we get into the near-death experiences. Tell us just a little about yourself and background or whatever
1: well I am married and have two children and I live in West Virginia and um, I've had four near death experiences and I've written a book um, A Song in the Wind A Near Death Experience and it has my first two experiences in it and I am currently working on a sequel that will have the other two in it we'll probably have all four in it but
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, why don't you go ahead and share about your first near-death experience?
1: Well, I was about 13 years old, and I was taking swimming lessons at the Y and the town that I grew up in. And that day, the instructor was teaching us how to dive into the 10-foot section of the pool. And I just... He wanted us to dive, like, head first into the pool. And I was scared to death and really didn't have a good feeling about it at all. And I had watched the other kids do it, and they came out okay, so I went to do it, and I just froze. And my instructor told me that if I didn't do it, he would throw me in, and he did.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And (laughs) (laughs) Um, when I... Went into the, you know, when he threw me in, I started fighting the water and taking in a bunch of water, and then I sunk to the bottom, and it, that didn't take very long. Um, but as I was laying on the bottom of the pool, um, I could see outside of myself. I could see my mom who was sitting in the balcony. On the opposite end of the pool and here i am laying on the bottom under 10 feet of water but yet i could see her face as clear as as could be and she was screaming and there was just a horror look on her face and i could hear the the um and also see there was a woman lifeguard who had the smaller children in the three-foot section and I heard her scream to my instructor. She called him by name and said, go in and get her. And then I looked at him, and I could see his face, and he was just frozen. And I heard all kinds of screaming, and and, and all the while I'm laying under 10 feet of water. Wow. And then I saw this beautiful light and it was just a soft white it was brilliant but it didn't hurt my eyes at all it seemed very soft and i felt this love coming through this light and it kept getting closer at first it looked like a light bulb and i thought what's a light bulb doing in the pool (laughs) and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I don't know if I was going up to it or it was coming down to me, but it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I felt so warm and cozy, and I didn't have any pain, and I wasn't afraid, and I, I was so drawn to the, the love that was coming out of that light. And then I heard what sounded like a metal door slam, and then all of a sudden, I felt all this horrible pain in my chest, and I was throwing up water, and, and I couldn't breathe. And what had happened was there was a lifeguard on the other side in like the four or five foot section of the pool with the middle aged kids, and he had jumped in and got me, and was doing <clears throat> um, compressions and CPR and whatever as he was pulling me out of the pool, and. I remember feeling people yanking me up out of the pool, and I was laying down on the ground, and I, all I could see at that point was people's legs, and um, then I saw my mom, and so that was the first one.
0: So it sounds like uh, uh, the most disoriented you probably felt was was probably after you came back to your body then, is that...
1: Yes, I was extremely, I had no idea, you know, at that young age, I had no idea what had just happened, and to be honest with you, we never talked about it, my 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 mom and I, we never talked about it, I didn't even know how to ask, what in the world, well, what was that all about, what oh, wow. happened there?
0: So you didn't even mention it to them at the time?
1: No, I... I, I didn't even know how to ask. I, I mm-hmm. figured, uh, you know, my mom would know, but I, we just never talked about it, which i thinking back now was kind of strange.
2: Interesting. it so was a
1: huge event, but she was so terrified. And I never did go back to swimming lessons, ever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I've had some close calls myself with, with just, I, I had to be pulled out by a lifeguard. Uh, once, and then another time, uh, you know, swimming too far out and nearly, you know, running out of energy before I could get to a side. And so, uh, it took me. It took me like twenty years to get back in a deep end again. I, I was terrified of water.
1: <laughs> oh, my <So> God. I, <laughs> I understand that. I even have shower water in my face, and I, I can't breathe. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> a little bit of post-trauma there that your body remembers. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us about your second experience now.
1: Okay. Um, My second experience happened in 2005. And um, I was sitting outside on the back steps of my house talking on a cordless phone. Um, And it had just started to rain. And my husband at the time was an electrician, and he had just got home from work. And I asked him if it was okay if I talk on a cordless phone during the storm, and he said that it would be fine. So we, my friend and I continued talking, and he went into the house, and it was like maybe five minutes later, I heard this loud crack, and I saw this lightning bolt come out of the sky, and it hit my right arm. Ooh. And it was, I felt this fearing pain in my right arm and in my chest as the lightning passed through me, oh and it knocked me to the ground, and there were char marks on the concrete steps where I'd been seated, my but after goodness. the lightning, yeah, I mean, it was something, you could see these perfect little feet marks <laughs> and the perfect little rear end mark right there on the two steps, <laughs> but after it went through me, it went under the house, and it hit the transformer in front of our house, and it our whole neighborhood was knocked out power for about four hours. Holy cow. So during this time, um, it was, when I was laying there on the ground, I was sweating, and I was really sick at my stomach, and I had such terrible pain in my arm and chest that it was just unbearable, and I was kind of in shock about what happened. And then all of a sudden, I just felt my soul peel up out of my body like a banana, and I just popped right up out of there. And I floated into my house or walked into my house or something. It, but somehow I ended up into my house, and I was walking around looking at everything, and everything had this burnt gold look to it. And I noticed that my curtains weren't my curtains, and I walked into my dining room, and the dining room furniture wasn't my stuff. And I started thinking what in the world was going on. And um, so I walked further into the house, and I heard this old-time radio playing, you know, from back in the 30s, maybe. And... It reminded me of something from the Waltons or something. And I kept walking through the house trying to find this sound. And I knew my husband had just come home from work, but he wasn't in the house. And my children were home from school, but they weren't in the house either. And I just kept walking through the rooms. And I started to panic when I realized I couldn't find anybody. And nothing in that house, was, it was my house, but nothing in it was mine. So I started to panic. And just as I started to panic, I felt this huge loving presence with me. I couldn't, it was formless, but it was so big. And it was just pouring all this love and comfort. And, and And I was just kind of in awe of this huge presence. And then... Um, we started we I moved sideways and I moved very fast and I started going through these pink and gold clouds and they were just so beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. And this presence was with me and um we traveled at a, a a very great speed and I was just you know, just basking in this love with this presence and at the end of this this i don't know if it was a tunnel or what it was but it was those beautiful pink and gold clouds. So and we got to the end of those clouds and there was a beautiful garden and just at the entrance of the garden um these two young men appeared and at first i thought they were angels but they were um They weren't. They were my two brothers who had died as babies. And they were fully grown men. And they had the blonde hair and the blue eyes. And they were wearing this cream-colored, tightly woven linen, expensive linen clothing. And I don't know why that was important, but it was. And we just had to. Amazing family reunion, and they look so much like my dad when my dad was a young man. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, "Oh my gosh, dad I would be so proud of you." And so, I they looked like they were maybe in their late twenties or early thirties, and they actually reminded me of surfer dudes. Like they'd been out on the beach <laughs> all day long. They were glowing and golden and absolutely beautiful so after we had our family reunion they were walking with me um, through this beautiful garden and it was this garden was kind of situated to the left of this big beautiful glorious city, golden city and it the city had a big, huge building in the middle that had a golden dome, and I heard water running from a stream, and just the di- you know—the the sunlight on the on the water just made it sparkle like diamonds. And the colors of the flowers were so vibrant; I've never seen colors like that. There were pinks were pinker, and the reds were redder, and. So we're walking through this garden, and there was an old fieldstone wall. looked like a fieldstone wall with the fieldstone stacked one on top of the other, and there were pink roses growing and over it, and it was just beautiful. And I could see other buildings, and I saw houses on hillsides, and they were, like, made out of crystal or, or something. You know, they were just magnificent. And, um, then I saw, uh, as I was walking with my brothers, um, I, they gave me the information that I had died, and it, and I was okay with that. It was, it was fine, you know, I didn't have any fear or worry, um. Was that the but first
0: I, first inclination that you had that you were dead, or had, yeah, had you,
1: had I had no. I, I was so overwhelmed, and I had the the, uh, the wow factor. You know, everything
0: yeah,
3: was <laughs> so yeah.
1: magnificent, so beautiful. The air was so crisp and sweet and clean, and the birds were singing, and the colors were so beautiful. Oh, and yeah. I, I, I could, as soon as they told me that I was dead, I looked down the front of me, and I could. see, that I still had a body I mean I purposefully looked down the front of me and I could see my hair down the front of me and I could see my shirt and my shorts and my feet and, you know, and I was like wow, okay
0: <laughs> You're like if I'm dead yeah. then what is this?
1: <laughs> yeah, right I still have a body and I'm not naked Thank you <laughs>
0: Much appreciated. I still
1: have my clothes on <laughs> So it was it was just, um, I, I don't know, I was just overwhelmed at that point, and there was, <clears throat> excuse me, there was other people that started to gather around me, and I knew who these people were, but I didn't know where I knew them from, and they knew me, mm. and they were from all different generations. I saw women and these. Magnificent gowns and men in fancy suits. And then I saw people in regular clothes, you know, jeans and, and, you know, gym clothes and whatever. But it seemed to me that, you know, they were from different time periods. And I was, I just had this knowing that I knew them, but I had no idea where I knew them from. Wow. And they all gathered around me, and I had my brothers, one on either side of me, and that huge presence was behind me. And at that point, it was like I had, had my life review, and it was like watching a black-and-white movie on an old-fashioned reel. And it, it, it was my whole life, from the moment I was born until that moment that I died, and But it was, like, for information purposes only. There was no, I didn't judge myself, and Mm. nobody else was judging me.
0: Like you were watching a movie. I just
1: watched it, and I was like, oh, cool, okay, well, um," and then it was over. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of looked at my brothers like, is there supposed to be more? Is that it? (laughs) 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 Okay, well, um, and that's when I learned that God doesn't judge us, we judge ourselves. Oh, wow. and since I didn't judge myself, I mean, I had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I didn't make any judgments. I just watched it like it was a movie, and I was kind of detached from it and just thought, oh, okay, well, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: makes just, you wonder, too, if maybe part of you deep down knew that there was still more coming, but that it just didn't occur to you at the time <laughs> so, right. in terms of what's I, happening in the future. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I just kind of... I found myself floating along and going with the flow of things. I Mm -hmm. didn't fight it. I didn't question it. It was just like I had no thought in my head that I should be asking questions. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, I was like I was hooked up to a giant IV bottle of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I started getting answers to questions I don't even have words to ask. You know, it was just like how the universe was put together, who God was, and how simple He is, and how complicated we human beings make everything, because it's really not complicated. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying, wow, God, you're so awesome, you're so awesome, <laughs> this is so cool. So I had that, at that time I was given all this divine knowledge, and then... um After that, um, my brothers and I was walking through the garden, and out of this grove of trees, I saw Jesus. Well, by that time, (sighs) when you see Jesus, you forget everybody else. So I have no idea where my brothers went after that. Um, So when he walked up to me, um, he was telling me that he loved me, that he always had loved me, and not to be afraid. I was like, okay. (laughs) And he walked me from the garden to this beautiful wooded glen. And it was just magnificent. There were pine trees and pine cones and little flowers. And and then there was this log, and I sat down on a log. And on the other end of the log was God. And he started talking to me. And he he looked at me, and he said in a really kind, quiet, gentle voice, he says, What would you do if it were just you and me? And I looked at him, and I had no clue at all what he meant. I was like, What do you mean? And he was, he just smiled, and he was so patient, and he said, What would you do if it were just me and you? And... I, I had I, I told him I said I just I don't know what you mean, and he said Imagine if there were no parents, no children, no husband, no friends. There's just you and me, and no one else. And I I told him I said I, I would drive you crazy after the first ten minutes with all <laughs> my questions and chatter, and you wouldn't like me very much. Like that. <laughs> And he just, he kind of laughed, you know, and he has a beautiful laugh.
3: Uh-huh.
1: And then he, he stood up and he asked motion for me to follow. So we walked a short distance to the edge of the, the glen and there was an opening. And it was kind of like taking a zipper and opening up a jacket, you know, and that's what he did and he showed me the whole universe with nobody in it. There were no people, no buildings, no cars, no animals, no trees, nothing. Mm-hmm. And all I could see was these swirling rainbow-colored gases and sparkling diamond stars and spinning planets. Wow. And it was it was absolutely beautiful. But then I was like, oh my gosh, this is so big. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't think so. <laughs> now, I don't know how many people tell God no, but I did. I know, no. <laughs> so we ended up back on the log again and he said to me again, What would you do if it were just me and you? And I I had no proper answer for his question. Mm-hmm. So I, I was there was this beautiful oak tree that was in front of me. And I saw the details of the trunk and the life, you know, the little life-giving veins and the leaves and the roots beneath the ground. And I didn't just see a tree, but I saw the individual parts that made up the whole tree. And I saw how important all these parts were to the life of the tree and also to the environment around the tree. And I began to see how all things were connected to each other and that every part, Part was important to all of creation. And I think that's what God wanted me to see. And I don't know, at that point, I said something that I have no idea why I said because I have never, ever read the Quran in my life and I know nothing about, you know, Islamic faith or whatever. But I said, God, your hundredth name in the Quran is God is everywhere. God is nowhere, and God is in me. And he said, yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. And then he said, and? (laughs) So I looked at the tree again, and then I I said, God, you made this tree, you are in this tree, so when I look at this tree, I see you. And he just smiled from ear to ear, and he was like, yes, and? (laughs) Mm -hmm. like, Okay, so I started thinking about my parents, and I said, um God you made my parents you are in my parents so when I see my parents I see you and he said yes and and he was trying to get me to go on further well I said so you made my husband you are in my husband so when I see my husband I see you and he said yes and and he was trying to get me to think And then I began to think as if there were some people in this world who are cruel and who have hurt me Mm -hmm. and other people. And I said, God, there are some people who I don't really care for because they hurt others, but you made these people. You are in these people. So when I see these people, I see you. And he smiled really big. He was really happy. And he said, yes, that's right. Now I have a question for you. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Mm -hmm. Well, I looked down at my hands and I thought, oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Because my normal answer would have been me, nothing special, just me. But that's not an answer you give God. So
3: Hmm.
1: I said, God, you made me. You are in me. So When I look in the mirror, I see you. And he was, like, so thrilled because that was the right answer. Yes, that's right. Oh, my gosh, that
0: is so beautiful.
1: Uh. And, um, after that, we did some more talking, um, and then these two angels appeared, and they were, they didn't have wings like people think they do, they were just ornately, they had, they were women, and they had this beautiful ornately gowned um, uh, gowns on, and, um, they took me to a very calm lake, and I—it was like um, looking down through glass, but I could see the world, um, the Earth, and what was going on. But these were future events that hadn't happened yet, uh-huh. but have happened now. Um, mm-hmm. So, what was shown to me were horrific events that stemmed from or were a result of the nine eleven attacks Oh wow that had led to other terrorist attacks against our country and throughout the world. Um, they showed me people- people being killed by bombings and shootings. they showed me the beheadings um, I saw our financial institution crumbling and that they said that our money was not worth the paper it was written on. Mm -hmm. And instead of money, they showed me silver and gold coins being used to make purchases. Um, They also said that in time we would return to the barter system, like we had done many years ago. Um, They showed me natural disasters like earthquakes and volcanoes tornadoes and storms. There were six huge waves. They showed me six huge waves of water covering the land. Um, They showed me, and I don't know why they did this, but they showed me a woman and a little boy um, from Canada, I believe. It was a white car, and it was swept off the road because of floodwaters. And as her car was being immersed in the water, I saw angels. They looked like people. Pull the woman and the child out of out of the car, mm-hmm. but the boy had already died, and they revived mm-hmm. him. And the the woman went on to promote some kind of spiritual series, uh, spiritual videos, a series of videos. Mm-hmm. Um, they were showing me how corrupt governments would become, and their role in destroying the peace of our world. And there was. I saw dark clouds surrounding the capitals, where the governments were. They showed me coops and rioting, and uh, different governments being overthrown, uh, huge riots in the streets. They showed me one particular riot where a man threw something through a storefront window, mm-hmm. and there was a, I think it was a CVS or some kind of drugstore behind him was burning, And I heard the sound of gunshots and saw this man laying dead in the street. Um, They also, on a positive note, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, they showed me small pockets of light where people huddle in places they called safe havens. And these safe havens are mostly in mountainous regions. Um. So these are like prayerful communities. Um, they showed me a silver ribbon splitting the United States apart. And I was told that this ribbon was either a river or connected to a river, and I think it was the Mississippi River. But they really didn't give me much explanation to this, except that it, the, this ribbon becomes larger over time.
2: Wow.
0: Did they give you any indication as to why exactly they were showing you these things because obviously um, you know you're you're probably thinking well at the time you may not have even known you were coming back yet, but um, it, it, did you have a some idea that you there was something that you were supposed to do about this, or was it more of like a a warning kind of a thing? Did you get any indication along those lines?
1: Well, I came to realize. That these are these are really big, huge things that are happening that have actually come to pass. Mm-hmm. But these things are happening because of our collective selfishness,
3: uh-huh. and
1: perhaps I don't know. Maybe it was just serve as a warning to humanity or to anybody that would listen to me. And I realized uh, God was showing me that he is the creator of the universe and that all life flows from him. And there's a certain order. He has an order. And if we step out of his order of way of doing things, then mayhem and chaos. Ensues, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we stay within His order, um, then these things don't happen. Everything there—he's not a god of chaos, you know. And yeah. so, if we step out of His order, um, but He gives us that that gift of free will, mm-hmm. and but He's saying it's not too late to stop this course of events. But it's up to us to choose whether to follow. His order of doing things, or to follow our own selfish ways, so we can stop all of this mayhem and con- destruction and, and 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 all of that.
0: It comes down to our choices, then.
1: Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Um.
0: So what what happened next?
1: Well, I saw uh, that beautiful, magnificent city, and then there was a golden wall around the city, and I walked, as I walked through the garden, I saw a lot of the buildings that were on the outskirts of this glorious city, and some of the buildings looked to be made out of, like, real beautiful marble, and that one in the middle had that golden dome on it. And I saw healing buildings with these pools of water, um, and those were for soul healing. And, I, like, for someone who had had a traumatic death or a sudden death and didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like each building had angels and other people who were specifically trained to help, you know, like the healing... The healing they were trained for that and there was a building for little children um babies
3: mm-hmm.
1: and so there was
3: would i they saw been, the little uh, children
1: i saw the babies i saw and there were specific you know angels mm-hmm. that were trained to take care of them as they grow and they will grow
0: would that and, be babies that had died on the earth yes and and then they return okay
1: and so they go there, and it, and there were schools. I saw schools, but these weren't like um, schools of science. This was like spiritual growth. Um, I saw a library that had tons of books. I mean, thousands and thousands of books on every subject you could possibly want. Mm-hmm. And they were all in this beautiful building. Um I saw this one, um, it was like a banquet hall, and these were, there were people inside having a party, or what seemed like a party. There was a man, they were wearing, the women were wearing beautiful gowns and jewels, and the men were in, you know, tuxes or suits, and then, um, it was so lavish. There was a chandelier, and there was this beautiful plush pink carpet on the floor, and there were um tables with linens and flowers the colors of the women's dresses and there were it was just the tables were just laden with fruits and vegetables and cheeses and meats and breads and, oh, wow. and just everything you could think of was on these tables and there was a man walking around the like a butler, and he was carrying a silver tray, and he was passing out champagne glasses. (laughs) And there was a gentleman over in the corner, and he had playing this gorgeous piano. And there were candelabra on this piano, and this vase of roses just spilling out all over the place.
0: (laughs) You don't know how excited that makes me to know that there's pianos in heaven.
1: (laughs) Yes! Oh, the music! Oh, I need to tell you, when I was in the garden, I could hear music, and it was like... Each blade of grass has a sound. The leaves on the trees have a sound. The birds have a sound. The water has a sound. The rocks have a different sound. And when you put all of these individual sounds together, you have the most magnificent orchestra you have ever heard in your life. Oh, wow. The choir, everything was singing praises to God. And it was so magnificent. And I could hear the pianos, and I could hear the stringed instruments, but it was a vibrational sound that was coming off of each individual leaf or blade of grass or rock or, or whatever, and it, was, I noticed that each color had a vibrational sound, like a rainbow, you know, that oh. each color has a different sound. Wow. So oh, the that's... music in heaven is magnificent, oh,
3: and you so can
1: beautiful. eat in heaven, but you don't have to, it's <laughs> a sustained life, it's only because you enjoy it.
0: <laughs> I love that because it's like everything that we love in this life is there and even better. You know? Yeah. It's like if there's something you enjoy here, it's there. So right. Cool. Well that's
1: what I witnessed anyway. <laughs> yeah. It was it was absolutely magnificent. And our animals do go to heaven. So there's good rolling plains and valleys and hills and places for horses to run and cows to run and dogs to run and cats to play and whatever. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, heaven is so huge. If you think this earth is huge, <laughs> <laughs> multiply heaven by oh, twenty billion. That is million. so it's beautiful.
0: So I, can't wait, I can't wait to show my kids this because I've got... Uh, um, the, a few kids that help help with uh, some farming that we do, and we we raise ducks and chickens and stuff. And and my little daughter just just last week lost uh, one of her ducks to <clears throat> I I think probably a hawk or something like that. And she's like she's like oh I'm I but at least he'll he'll be in heaven now. I'll get to see him when when I go back to heaven. <laughs> oh
1: like, yes, she, she will. will. Bless her heart. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> And what a reunion that will
0: be, too! Yes. Oh. Oh, beautiful. So, what happens next? Well, um. And and I, pro- it's probably rough saying next, too. I, is time? Were you able to? I mean, was there a chronology of the events, or did it feel kind of? I don't well, know. You, you tell me. There
1: how? was. There was a sequence to oh, the good. events. Oh, Okay. It just seemed like this happened and then next this happened, and then next this happened, and then this happened. Okay. And it was, like, very uh, planned and organized. and mm-hmm. But yet, I was probably only there just minutes, but it seemed like I was there for weeks and weeks. Wow. So much happened and such... You know, I had no sense of time. There was no sense of time. Um,
0: That's one question I've had is, is there any kind of sleep in heaven? I mean, because I imagine you probably didn't need it.
1: I don't... There may be rest, but I don't know that... I mean, if you want to sleep, I suppose you can. You probably could. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was in such awe of everything. Oh, yeah. I was taking in every single detail. The, uh, the feel of the grass on my feet, the sweetness of the air, um, talking with people... Um, you know, Jesus and God and the angel, uh, just everything. There was so much; it was almost uh, overload. I was
0: overloaded. Wow, you talked about like, a, like sounds and things coming from the, from you know even the plants and so forth. Did you get any sense of communication with, with plants, or was there any kind of, I don't know? Did they have any kind of voice or whatever?
1: It's it's almost like a. uh you 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 are one with everything. Okay. So I could I could I did hear a vibrational sound coming from plants. So I know that plants are living things, and God is in those things.
3: Mm-hmm. He created
1: those things, so He's in them. So they are they have a spirit within them. And it wasn't until I came back that I was able. When I came back, I was, um, after I healed from the lightning, and I have what's called a right bundle branch block in my heart now. Oh, my. And the, but I went for about six months into a place I called the pink bubble because I don't really know what else to call it. But everything had a glow, and I could see the life force of every single living thing. If I looked at a plant, I could see this glow that came from that plant.
3: Oh, beautiful.
1: I could see, sitting on my back steps, where I had been struck by the lightning, I was sitting back on the steps, and I watched the grass spreading across the ground. Um, it was, we had had zoysia grass, so mm-hmm. it takes several months. By the end of summer, you have a beautiful grass. But yeah beginning of summer to the middle of summer, that's when it starts to pop open and seed and spread, Mm -hmm. and that's what was happening, and I was uh, literally watching the little blades of grass. I could hear them popping open, and the seeds, and I could see it spreading, and we had these little flowers, um, they were called Star of Bethlehem, and they open in the morning when the sun comes out, and they close at night when the sun goes down. Mm -hmm. And I could literally see in slow motion these flowers opening up in the morning and leaves popping out on the trees. And I could hear the popping sound as they would just pop open, and there they were. And it was like I could see miles away very clearly, and I could hear... Um, all my senses were so heightened. And I could, when you, when you asked about what the plants communicate, yeah. um, there was a pot of flowers that my neighbor had, and she didn't water them. And I could hear them screaming. <laughs> I would get up and go feed them for Because <laughs> I could hear them. And if someone was chopping down a tree, I could hear it. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, the agony, you know, oh, of the tree wow. being chopped down. So, yes, the plants do communicate just like animals do and uh, people do but in different ways, but.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, though.
1: Yeah. So, th- that pink bubble lasted for about six months, and it was this total oneness with God and total connection to the everything around me, and it was like living in a pink bubble. Um, I saw the world through rose-colored glasses, I guess, and nobody could hurt me no matter what they did, you know. I just loved everything and everyone, and I was in this blissful state, and then about six months later, uh, because of the cruelty of people and the, the world the way it is and the some of the people that were around me at the time, yeah. I came out of it very abruptly. And it was, it was just like overnight. One minute oh. I'm in this blissful place, and the next minute I'm in this, oh my gosh, I felt like I was walking through mud. Mm. you know, And I was in shock. And the woman that I was talking to on the phone at the time I was struck by the lightning, she's a medicine woman, um, Native American medicine woman, a good friend of mine. And she was the only one who knew, because she was on the phone with me when I was struck, so she knew what happened. Yeah. And when I explained to her everything that happened, she was able to tell me that it was a near-death experience. And she also told me that when I came out of this pink bubble, this bliss, this oneness with God, that I was in shock because I felt nothing. Nothing. I just walked around the world for about another six months, and I felt nothing. I was just stunned. I was like, I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel angry. I felt nothing. And it started to frighten me. So I called her back and asked her, what in the world is wrong? And she said, you're just in shock. You know, you mm. go from heaven back to earth, and the vibrations that are so different, you know. Yeah. When you're in heaven, you're vibrating. It's such." A, High frequency, and then you come back to Earth, and it's very low. And
0: yeah, so so maybe this was the first time in six months that you didn't have that heavenly connection, and and then of course that's going to cause depression as well. I mean, that's just
1: (laughs) yeah. And I have been fighting with depression off and on for many years since Uh, since that experience, and I think that that. Pretty normal for people who have near-death experiences, you yeah. <laughs> so, know. Yeah. And I think near-death experiences are beautiful, and they are a gift. But mm. they can be a curse at the same time. Yeah,
0: I think that's a, something that's important for people who don't have near-death experiences to understand, because you know, there's a uh, there's a temptation toward jealousy toward you know, I want to experience. But then, if you experience something like that, you got to come back, and you got to come back to the mortal earth as it is. Oh man, I can't imagine how that, it's you know, that shock.
1: Difficult. I mean, at least it was for me. I can't speak for everybody, but I have found that integrating that experience, well, all of my experiences have been extremely difficult. And all of my experiences have been different.
0: Yeah. So yeah. It, it, so that was the that was the second experience, right? Or was right. That the okay, so How did the third come about?
1: Well, I had been sick for a a very long time. I had um, um, terrible, horrible pains in my stomach. And um, my husband had taken me uh, to the hospital. I had numerous trips to the hospital because of this. Well, what it turned out to be was a, uh, a adhesion from a previous surgery and it caused a bowel obstruction. And they were having a hard time finding it because you don't see adhesions on um, CAT scans and MRIs. You just can't see those things. So it was Are you still there? Yes, yes. Sorry. Oh, okay. I heard
0: <laughs> I'm just absorbed in your story, so go ahead. <laughs>
1: So um, they finally, uh, and I just kept praying. I kept praying, please, this has to stop. I can't, I can't do this anymore. So one night my husband took me to the hospital, and there happened to have been uh, the ER doctor uh, knew of a surgeon that was on, on call that night, so she, he called him to come and look at the, the CT scans, and the surgeon said that I had a bowel obstruction and I needed emergency surgery right away. But there was another patient ahead of me, so I had to wait about an hour. So as I was laying in the ER, I saw this man walking down the hallway, and I knew that he was an angel. And he kept, he would walk away, and then he would turn back around, and he would come my direction. And he would look right at me and um, then they moved me into another room as I was getting closer to surgery, and that angel walked into my my room, and he said, oh, don't mind me. I'm just here to help out. (laughs) (laughs) My mouth dropped to the floor because I knew he was the angel of death. (laughs) I knew he was, and I was just like, I even told my husband, I said, oh my God, did you see him?
0: <laughs> Could anybody else see him? And, I'm sorry. Could anybody else see him?
1: My husband saw him.
0: Okay, so he was he was there for yeah he, he was, was there. there.
1: <laughs> and so then it was shortly after that I was taken to surgery, and during the operation, before the operation, I had this really calm feeling. I just knew that I was going to be okay and everything was going to be fine. But during the surgery, um, my soul left my body and floated above the operating table. And I could see the doctors and nurses. I saw their surgical hats on their heads and their gloved hands as they were working in me. And then I was lifted up to the ceiling and I, w- when I was looking down on them and while they were kind of leaning over. And then, And that only seemed last for like a minute or two and then i was surrounded by this beautiful rainbow colored light and i began to feel as though it was moving rapidly through it and then i found myself standing in heaven and i recognized everything from the previous nd i saw the fieldstone wall i saw the golden wall around the city i saw the you know i saw all of it and I actually, back. <laughs> I'm standing right next to the golden wall. Okay, at this time, I'm okay. not in the garden. I'm in the. I'm standing next to the golden wall, and I can see the garden from a distance. Okay, huh. and this wall that surrounded this, this beautiful city it was very high and solid, and it was made of pure gold. Wow! And I could just feel. All this love and peace, and and it was just pouring into me, and I could hear what sounded like a celebration or a party going on just beyond the city wall, and the air was just so sweet and crisp, and um, there were there was a field uh, like a meadow of tall grass that had wildflowers in it, and it was kind of they were kind of. Swaying and dancing in the in the breeze, and that air was just so sweet from all the beautiful colors and flowers and everything that was there. But okay, so I'm standing at the golden wall. There's this meadow of wildflowers, and then beyond that, like off to the left, was the garden, and there were all these people pouring out of the garden, and um. And each one had a, uh, an angel walking with them, and the angels were taller, dressed in sort of a light blue and white-colored And They were much more illuminated than the people. And the people were walking with their angels and were laughing and talking. And there was, I saw two men that looked like they were from the Middle East, and they had the robes on and the things on their heads. And they were talking with each other, and there was an angel with them. And then I saw another man who looked like he was maybe from New York or someplace, and he was some kind of construction worker. He still had a helmet on his head, and he had a a vest on that had tools in the vest. Interesting. And but each person, there were men and women and children of all ages, and you know each person had their own angel that was walking with them, and they were walking from the garden. The, um, through the through the the meadow, and um, they were going into the city gate, which was just down a little ways from where I was standing, but I couldn't for the life of me move. I couldn't get down to those gates. It never dawned on me. There was a little puppy that was at my feet, <coughs> a little brown and white beagle puppy. And he was down at my feet, and I kept leaning. He was jumping on me and barking, and he wanted me <laughs> to play with him. So I kept leaning down, and I'm petting him, and he'd roll over and rub his tummy. And I thought, okay, you're a little boy. If I rub your tummy, don't pee on me. <laughs> 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 that was one of my thoughts. And he was just wiggling all over, and he was just adorable, just so fat and roly-poly. But... um So I was playing with this little puppy, and at the same time, I was watching all these people walking through. And there there were two men that walked into my view, and the younger one I recognized immediately from pictures that I had seen that belonged to his mother, who was a friend of mine. And this young man had died some years before. But he was accompanied by an older gentleman who i recognized as his father and as they passed by me i smiled at them and i said i know you and they smiled at me and nodded their heads and they just continued walking into the into the entrance of the city Mm -hmm. and then it was kind of like in that ivy bottle of knowledge again and i was given this infused knowledge that i was going to return (laughs) it wasn't my time, and that I had to let this man's wife know that he and his son were together and that he was okay. Mm -hmm. So, as I went further into this, there was, I saw a beautiful building made of this beautiful alabaster. There were columns and archways, and the floor was like marble and it was polished. I mean, you could just see yourself, and it looked like a mirror, you know, it was so beautiful. Oh. And there were two huge ornate doors, one at the front and one at the back of the building, and there was an angel, a big, huge angel, that stood uh, at each of the doors, and they held keys. But you couldn't enter that building unless the angel gave you access by unlocking the door using these keys that they were holding. Interesting. So the angel let me inside, and once I was inside, there was nothing inside this room except this large podium and sitting on this, you know, whatever this big stand was, was a huge golden book. Hmm. And I knew that this was called the Book of Life, and as I looked into the book, the book was made of gold and seemed to just illuminate the whole room. And the paper was made of, a, like, material, but not, not not you know, like regular paper. It was actual material, and it had a weave pattern like a, to it. Like a fabric? Yeah. Okay. It was a fabric. and But it wasn't something I'd ever seen before. Um, hmm. And it was, the book was open... And the writing was in gold, but it was in a language that I'd never seen before. It looked like some kind of symbols or some kind of ancient script. And this angel, you know, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, okay, explanation. (laughs) (laughs) And the angel was just standing there holding his key and he didn't say anything. He just kept staring ahead, keeping watch, I guess, as I was trying to find out, you know, what what does this mean? (laughs) And the only thing that I could conclude was that it wasn't open to my page, and so I couldn't read the words. Uh. So when it came time for me to leave, the angel took me out of the room and out into the courtyard of the building, and the only thing he said to me was, to read from the Book of Life as a gift, and then the angel left
3: Hmm.
1: and went back to the entrance door, and then I was infused again by this IV bottle of knowledge, the divine knowledge, there are people that use pendulums and computer programs and cards to try and read what they call the Akashic Records, which is yeah. the Book of Life, And but it can only be accessed through your heart, and it's a gift, and not everybody has the gift of reading that, so that people need to be very careful not to use devices and things like that to read this, because They may be giving wrong information.
0: Uh, So if you don't have the gift, you're not intended to read it.
1: Exactly. Got it. But every soul, every single soul that has ever come into existence has a page in that book. And where I couldn't read, you know, what the symbols meant, I knew that it was someone's page, but it wasn't meant for me to read that
0: interesting
1: so I didn't know what the puppy was all about but after the experience <laughs> I was talking to my daughter I told her my experience and she told me that they had to call the police on a neighbor who lived down the street from them because the neighbor was seen beating the beagle puppy to death Aww. and I was absolutely stunned <laughs> because I told my daughter that that beagle was there met the beagle <laughs> and he wasn't hurt he was healthy and beautiful and bouncing all around. And that meant a lot to her. And then um, I told my friend about her son and her husband, that they were together, and it really helped her in her grieving. Oh, wow. There was a purpose for that whole thing.
0: Oh, that is so cool. Do you remember coming back from the third experience?
1: I do. I was in the recovery room. And the there was a nurse that was standing next to me and I was still hooked to machines. And the nurse unhooked me and I said, I need to speak to the anesthesiologist immediately. So the nurse went and got the anesthesiologist and he came into my room. And I said, when you're under anesthesia like that, can you dream? He said, absolutely not. When you have... Deep anesthesia like that, you are as close to death as you can be, and you cannot dream. He said, why? I said, because I went to heaven. (laughs) And his eyes got as big as saucers, and he started flipping through my chart, and he turned and walked out of the room real fast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You scared him. (laughs) I
1: did. Well, a few weeks later, when I went to get the stitches out, I told my doctor the same thing, the surgeon. Mm-hmm. He did the same thing. His reaction was, was hilarious. His eyes got real big. And he started going through the computer, looking, and, and he got up and he walked out, and he sent the nurse in to take us. To <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. I guess you don't want to know about that. <laughs> I don't know if they thought that was going to snoo them or what. <laughs> it
0: completely baffles me, too, because I know if I was a doctor, I'd be like, be like Come in my office. we got to talk. I want to hear this story, you know?
1: i got to hear this. Oh, that's I so funny. I think they were afraid I was going to, <laughs> because something did go wrong.
0: Yeah, Sue yeah. or something. If they, <laughs> it'd be like, she wasn't under all the way or something. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or too deep,
0: maybe. Yeah, or too deep, maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Same on you guys. <laughs>
0: So, how about your fourth experience?
1: I'm sorry.
0: Did you say you had a fourth near-death experience?
1: I did. Um, my fourth experience happened um, on December 17th in 2017.
0: Ah, it's just recent then.
1: Just yeah. It, eight months. It was ago. about 8:45 in the morning, and I was in the hospital for having had a seizure the day before, and they put me on the 24-hour observation. Well, on the morning of the 17th, they had given me some medicine and I had an adverse reaction to the seizure medicine and I stopped breathing. And I guess I fell asleep and at the, or was unconscious one of the two, I don't know, but I had, I was in my hospital bed and I, my spirit just came right up out of my body and it went through the ceiling, past the roof, and into the sky. And it went up into the universe. And, um, and I could see the, the the black studded stars. But I was actually, I was wrapped or cocooned within what felt like a warm, soft, thick, black velvet blanket. Mm-hmm okay, but I could see myself in this cozy um, blanket as well as outside of myself, and I felt so warm and safe and protected and, you know, just, you know how on a cold night when you're really tired and you climb in bed and you just wrap yourself up in a blanket and you just go to sleep and you feel so comfy?
3: Yeah.
1: That's what it felt like, and... I knew that there was a presence with me and all around me, and I, I couldn't see this presence with my eyes, but I knew that it was God, and I didn't have any fear or worry or anything, but I was curled up in a fetal position inside this, this beautiful velvet blanket, and like I said, I could see through it, and I could see stars and planets, and it was almost as if I was a baby again. And I looked at those things with amusement, you know. Well, okay, that's cool. But I felt more comfortable inside this black encasement, or whatever it was, this blanket. Interesting. And there was no sense of time. It seemed like I was there for a long time, and I was kind of hung there, suspended among the stars, wrapped in this black thing, and I, I had, I heard, I didn't put this in my write-up or anything, but I had heard a conversation, and I don't know if it was God talking to someone else, or God talking to my soul. I had to make a decision at that point whether I was going to stay or go. Hmm. And I think God held me suspended there for a while because I would have made a hasty decision. <laughs> you know, it would be like, I'm out of here. Done. <laughs> I'm done. But I was asleep. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the best way to die, so yeah. I'm not I'm done. And But it was like no, you're not going to make a hasty decision because of things in your life aren't going the way you want or you're depressed or whatever. You no. know, And I was at the time. And mm. dealing with health problems and whatever, it was like, I am so done with this place.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but he was just holding me there. And it was almost like he was saying, let's think about this. This is, you know, you have, I don't, I didn't, I don't remember the actual words of the conversation, but I know that it was like, you're not going to make a hasty decision. You need to think about this because what's done is done and, you know, whatever. So then all of a sudden it felt like a vacuum was sucking me down and pulling me down, down, down into my body. And it was like I, as I was coming out of it, I could hear a lot of noise. And I opened my eyes, my eyes, and the lights in the room were so bright that my eyes hurt. It was like, oh my gosh, I just went from this gorgeous, beautiful black place that was so calming to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They had the uh, the lights on, and there was a doctor in there, and there were several nurses running around the room, and I had a non-breather oxygen mask on my face. And I was <coughs> trying to get it off, and I saw my husband and standing over at the corner um, by the door, and he had such a horrible look on his face. You know, I felt so bad, but um, they, the nurses stayed by my side for a while to monitor my breathing and it, they told me that I I had no idea how serious things had gotten. They said I had died from something called acute respiratory acidosis or hypoventilation. Wow. And I had, they gave me, you know, I have the blood tests that show, you know, the test results and the, 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 they apparently had done some kind of blood gas or something in my hand. That my hand was all swollen mm-hmm. and it showed um, you know where I had died and wow. I don't know I, I think that in that particular near-death experience that that is what you would call the void yeah, and I had always had. I was never afraid of dying, but I was scared to death of going to the void. Because mm-hmm. I had all, yeah. all the groups and everybody this darkness. The void. What? Yeah, I was so afraid of it. Uh. So I'm. I don't know. Maybe God allowed me to go there so that I could see that the void is not scary. So that I could let people know that the void is not a scary place, and you are not alone, even though you might think you are. Yeah. You know, being in that encasement, I was alone, but he you, was still there. He was uh, with me, and there were other people there. I could hear them talking, and um, uh, wow. not a scary place.
0: And did you did you have a memory of your life and everything while you were in that void? Um, was it kind, of, or was it more kind of a vague awareness of it, or something?
1: I I could see my I I I don't I had no I didn't know I died I didn't know what was going on any more than I did in any of the others it happened okay. so fast. Um,
0: so it's almost like a your consciousness is just continuing on without being like oh okay now I'm dead now I'm doing this and
1: <laughs> exactly yeah I just like I said before when these things happen, they happen so suddenly and I just kinda go with the flow. I don't yeah. if you fight it, I think that
0: probably gets you even more confused if you
1: <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. If you just kinda go with the flow and, and surrender to whatever is happening, then you don't know, it it's not scary, it's not painful, it's not anything. It just Did you I feel had a, no pain whatsoever. Uh,
0: um did you feel like you're coming back that time? Did you feel like it was a choice that you made, or or was it no, more like No, I think a... it was a,
1: well. I think it was a collabor a collaborated discussion. Okay. <laughs> uh, because I do think if I had left at that time, it would have been too hasty. I because I was done. Yeah. I was <laughs> really done at that at that particular time, and I think that. I really believe that he was just holding me there so that my soul could rest. I needed rest. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be... I did, I felt like a little baby again. And it was like I was his baby and he was holding me and protecting me and saying, okay, you can rest for a little while, you know. Let's not be hasty about this.
0: Did you feel like there was... There was a purpose for that you were supposed to come back to fulfill some kind of mission that wasn't complete, something to that effect. Um.
1: Yeah. Although nobody is very forthcoming about what that mission is. <laughs> yeah. You know, you well, they say you've got a you've got a reason to be here, but they don't tell me what the reason is. Now I did um, after my second near death experience, I had. Several, um, physical visitations with Jesus. He appeared to me
3: in oh, wow.
1: physical form. This wasn't a vision. This wasn't a dream. This wasn't anything like that. It was, he was, like, standing in front of me in person. And, <laughs> wow. Can you um, tell us about it? I'm sorry? Can you tell us about
0: it? I'd love to hear.
1: Um, well, one of the times, um... I was taking care of my mom when she had Alzheimer's. I was her caregiver. And it was a particularly difficult day, and she was taking a nap, and I was in the kitchen mopping the floor. And I turn around, and he's leaning up against the counter with his feet crossed and his arms crossed. And he started talking to me, and he said, You cry because you think I cast you away from me. But that's so mm-hmm. no far from the truth. And what he meant was, I did cry a lot because I thought he kicked me out of heaven. You know, yeah. I wasn't, he didn't love me enough to keep me there. <laughs> so he was saying, that, no, that's not true. And he said, the purpose of my life was to love, just love, that's it. Mm. And he said, you do that so well, so you just do that and you give everything else to me and I will take care of everything else you just love and that's it so that was the only that was one of the times and yeah, um he also appeared to me when i was 15 in the back of a church and four other women saw him too so oh, one not like he did that for i am sure for validation because all these years later, I still talk to one of the ladies who's still alive, and we talk about the day that Jesus appeared in the back of the church. Oh, cool! And uh, it's amazing how much you know. There was something going on in my life at the time that I, you know, I just didn't know how to handle, and I never told anybody. But I was actually going to kill myself over it. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, when he he walked into the back of the church and he sat down next to me, we were uh. A, Youth choir, and we were visiting a local church. It was a Good Friday. So we were practicing in the back of the church or the basement of the church. And he comes in. And when I first saw him, I thought, is that an apostle? Hmm.
3: You know,
1: I knew that he was holy, whoever he was. But as yeah. he got closer to me, I realized who he was, and my mouth dropped open. <laughs> I couldn't speak. My mouth was so dry. And he said, he came up to me and he said, where do I go to sit? And I couldn't answer <laughs> him because my mouth was shut me. I was like, oh
0: my God. <laughs> like, take any seat you want. You can have the place.
1: <laughs> I thought, Sharon, get a grip. This is your chance to ask the Lord every question you ever wanted to ask and you can't open your mouth and say a word.
0: <laughs> I think that's I understandable.
1: <laughs> <you>. <laughs> and there was two women sitting in front of me and they turned around and they answered his question but at the same time they were talking to him, he was talking to me. And he said, what's happening to you in your life is happening. You're not crazy. Mm-hmm. I love you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. And then when he got up, he touched the elbow of the, one of the ladies and she had arthritis the bad in her arm. She couldn't bend it. And he put his finger on it, and healed her arm. Wow. And then he went upstairs to the main part of the church. Well, I still remember the song. It was called Up to Jerusalem. So we're standing there, all of us, you know, the choir and the lead guitarist and the bass player and all of, We're all standing there, and we're singing. And I don't know if there were other people in the church or not, because all I could see was him, and he was sitting right in the front and he was so beautiful, and he kind of up to Jerusalem was a pretty sad song. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he kind of put his hands, his face in his hands, and I don't know if he was praying or crying or what. But this, there was a huge stained glass window that all the pews were sitting in front of, and the sun came through that window and just illuminated him, and he was so gorgeous. Oh, wow. And then. We, I mean, I just sang my heart out. I gave it everything I had. I was singing just to him alone. And after he got up, and I never saw him go through the door or anything. He, I saw him get up, and then he was gone. And there was the two women that were sitting in front of me, and then um, one of them had two daughters that were sitting in front of her. We are the four people... Me and those two women and her two daughters are the ones that saw him. Uh So We are talking about Jesus sitting in front. And the rest of the choir was like, Jesus, where was Jesus? We didn't see Jesus. (laughs) But the four of us, or the five of us, did, those four ladies and me. We did. And we were like, well, he was sitting right here in front of you. You would have had to fall over him not to see him. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, you know, he comes, I guess, and
3: for those of us who need him
0: at the time. And not everybody will see him, but you will. Yeah. Oh, that is beautiful. All right. And did you, before your first near-death experience, did you have uh, any spiritual inclinations or anything that, you know, I'm just wondering if that that was like your first... uh, uh, big spiritual experience, I guess.
1: Well, I remember as a little girl, um, everybody thought I had an imaginary friend, but that imaginary friend was my little brother, Michael, who had died Uh. when he was a baby. I was only a year old when he died, so I didn't meet him. But as I was growing up and I was like four, five, six years old, he would come to me all the time, little blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy, and we would play constantly. Mm. And he told me not to call him Michael because it would make my mom cry. (laughs) So I called him Jonas. Uh And everybody thought he was imaginary, but he wasn't. And then one day, my mom, we would go out and swing on the swings, and he would, uh, we would steal the, Flintstone, the orange Flintstone vitamins out <laughs> of
0: <laughs> I remember doing that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and my mom, she would make brownies or whatever for the church bazaar, and we would go in and steal them. And I would always get in trouble, and I thought, you know what? If I'm going to get in trouble, buddy, you're going to get in trouble too. So I would go to my room and <laughs> would make him go with me. <laughs> lonely time for me as a you know a child because my older sister needed her whatever she needed and my little sister was born and then it was just me you know and i was lonely i guess and then he came to me all the time and one day my mom said she saw him sitting in a swing next to me on the swing set she could see him oh wow she said it was her mind's eye but she knew it was him. Oh, wow. So it gave me um, validation that, yeah. hey, <laughs> you know what, I'm not crazy. That really was <laughs> oh, wow! And there was another person that appeared, and I found out many years later who he was, I didn't know as a child who this person was and I talk about that in my book mm-hmm. um, he was a native man and he was on a white horse and he would we lived in Ohio at the time and um, Purpleville actually and the house, there was a a field behind the house, this beautiful golden field and he I saw him on his horse well, I never knew who he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, he didn't scare me. I, didn't, I never thought anything about it other than curiosity. You know, what's this guy on a horse in the middle of a field for? Yeah. Well, then another time, um, he actually brought the horse close to me, and I played with the horse's ears. And the man smiled at me, but I never knew his name or, or, or who he was or anything like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But then after my second near-death experience, He appeared to me, and I could see him as solid. He was a solid person. Oh, wow. Um, I could touch him. He could touch me. Um, I didn't know at that time that I could see spirits. Mm Mm-hmm. And they would appear to me as solid people. You know, I I felt like the little boy on the sixth sense. I see dead people. (laughs) I had this blue flashing sign above my head that said, if you're dead, come to Sharon. I had no idea what to do with all that.
3: Yeah.
1: But this man appeared again, and he was talking in Lakota, and I couldn't understand a word he was saying, and I said, listen, if you're going to talk to me, you got to talk to me in a way I can understand, because I don't know. <laughs> and I definitely don't know Lakota. <laughs> and um, his na- when he first came to me, he said his name was Running Elk. And he, but then like a day later or two days later, he came back and he said his name was Gray Eagle and that he had counted coup and had grown. And, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, in spirit world, you continue to grow spiritually and mm. you, you don't stop growing. You don't stop. Um,
0: stop progressing.
1: Exactly. Wow. So he had counted coup and well, I didn't know what that meant. I had to look it up. Yeah. I knew nothing about Native tradition at all, nothing. And so he was with me for about five to six years, and he was teaching me all about Native tradition and how everything is connected. and And... I had a friend who could see spirits, and he was an artist, and I had him draw. I told Grable, I said, you go to this guy, and you let him draw you. And I told him nothing about nothing, not even his name. So he drew a picture of him, and there was an eagle coming out of the sky, and a white horse was next to him, and he drew him. (laughs) So I have that picture. And I took that picture, and I showed it to my mom. I was so excited when the picture came back. It was like, that's exactly what he looks like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I took the picture to my parents, and my mom looked at it, and she said, I recognize this man. Oh. And I said, how do you recognize him? She said, he was by my bedside the day you were born.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I really didn't know what to make of that. Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. Amazing.
0: You don't happen to have Native American ancestry, do you?
1: I did a DNA test, and yes, we I do. Ah,
0: uh, interesting.
1: Yes, I do. Interesting. He told me he kept saying, "You are one of many nations," and I'm like, well, "What does that mean? I'm a high 57 variety, <laughs> you know?" Oh, wow. And it turns out that I have German on my dad's side, and I have several different Native tribes on my mother's side, and Oh, fascinating. So, and I did not know that. Yeah. Um, I had heard my grandmother talking about um, a Native man that was in our family. Uh, My great-great-uncle, I guess, or great-great-great-uncle. He lived in the 1800s. He was a Powhatan chief. Mm -hmm. And one day she pulled a picture of him out of a book. I was probably, I don't know, between... Thirteen and fifteen, somewhere in there. And she said, she took me into the front room of the of the house, and she said, I will have something to show you. And she pulled a book off the shelf, and inside the book was a picture, and it was a native man and with a headdress on, and there was a woman in this little gingham dress standing next to him. He was sitting in a chair. Well, that was my first love. It was like, wow, you know, (laughs) I'm in love with this man. He's so beautiful. (laughs) And my grandmother said, this man is your relative. Well, I was, like, stunned. I had no idea. And then she put the picture back in the book and put it back on the shelf. And then by that time, my cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody came. We were having a big dinner. So she never did finish telling me the story before she died. Wow. And I have tried, to, you know, when they cleared out the house, the house is no longer there. And I tried to talk with my aunt about the book, but she didn't know what in the world I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my dad did genealogy, and there is, um, there was a native chief in our family. Mm -hmm. Um, has given, I don't know what his native name is, but his name is Charles something. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. My aunt gave me papers on him, and I can't find them right now, but he he is buried somewhere in Richmond, Virginia.
0: Oh, interesting. Oh, so beautiful. So
1: cool. Uh. So, the the Grey Eagle, um, my granddaughter also saw him. She was living with me at the time. And um I was downstairs cooking and, and had my head in the oven and she comes down the stairs with Grandma, I heard three knocks on the wall and your Indian angel's upstairs and wants to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked her, I said, Did you actually see him? And she said yes and she described him I mean, to the scar on his arm, she described
0: oh,
3: him wow. and it
1: was I was in shock. I was like, "Thank you, thank you, thank you!" <laughs> oh.
0: That is so cool. Well, Sharon, we've we've got uh, a lot of our audience that uh, they haven't had their own near-death experiences, but they are feeling they're feeling kind of spiritually opened a little bit by learning about them. Do you have anything that you can say? I mean, other than all the amazing things that you have said so far, um, it, just as a as encouragement, you know, toward those who are, you know maybe haven't had an experience with the other side, but are feeling something toward it. You know, some kind of assurances. I, I don't know. What do you? Anything you'd like to say?
1: Well. all, death is, is nothing more than walking through one doorway into another. Mm. And it's nothing to be afraid of. It's 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 quick and painless, and immediately you feel this huge love. I mean, you came from love, and you go back to love. Because mm. that's what God is. God is love, period. And... He's not complicated, and. Oh, that's beautiful. And my dying experiences—you know, people are afraid of the dying process, and where do we go after? Yeah. But we exist. The the part of us that makes us who we are goes on. Mm-hmm. It's only the body, which is a vehicle very similar to a car and your car gets your body from one place to another on this earth well your body gets your soul from one place to another on this earth and when your body dies you stay the same you take with you all of your thoughts your feelings your memories everything goes with you when you go and you go to a beautiful place now, people have asked me about the other place, and that is a state of being, of like being separated from God, from the love of God by our choices. Mm-hmm. God doesn't put us there. We put ourselves there by our choices, and all we have to do is yell out, God help me, and you're taken out of that that place, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. It's not permanent. And so the thing is that people are afraid of Um, Fear doesn't come from God. Fear comes from a place totally different. And so... And then the other thing, too, is we need to work through our issues here. Because if we don't work through them here, we will have to work through them there. So learning to love and forgive and accept and not hold on to regret and anger and bitterness and all of those things. Just let those things go because they mean nothing.
0: Yeah. That's interesting because I've, and I've heard too that the, in this body where we do experience fear and, and frustration and, and, you know, all the, the challenges that we have with this body, it also puts us in a very spiritually flexible state, to be able to make those changes while we're in the body, uh, it, it's, it's like kind of an ideal molding ourselves place, I guess.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We come here to experience. That's what we come here for. And it's in the human experience that the soul does the most growing. Yeah. And we don't stop growing when our physical bodies die. We continue to grow. I love that. But it's like people in heaven are going, Yay, Ronald, you know, you are so strong. (laughs) You are so amazing. You know, because (laughs) we're down here doing this very hard thing.
0: We're we're at the front lines, really.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So life gets tough, it gets hard, but really it's just, how do we, we need to grow from these, is that we call negative because in in the afterlife they don't call things good or bad Mm -hmm. it's nothing more than experience we're the ones that term things as good and bad
0: yeah so now's when to focus on that learning right beautiful well thank you so much sharon this has been a beautiful conversation i i'm so excited we got to we got to visit and Oh well, thank you. I'm really honored that you had me on your, your show. Uh, thank you. And for our listeners, uh, we can. You can. If you have questions for Sharon or or for the podcast, whatever, you can either uh, email neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail dot or you can comment on the site neardeathexperiencepodcast.org dot org. And um, if you'd like me to get you in contact with. Sharon directly. I'll I'll be glad to you know get you in contact with her and and also we'll put a link to her book. And uh, again, thank you all of you so much for listening.